ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders, the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis, and by Trimbuilt Construction, building Austin since 1984. Hello, everyone. Awesome Business Journal's Will Anderson back with another episode of the ATX Ahead podcast. Today's topic is land use. Now, wait, don't turn the podcast off just yet. Land use can be a dry topic, to put it mildly. A less generous journalist might call it terribly boring. Um, yet I'd argue land use is one of the most important issues in Austin, something ABJ has been saying for years, ever since the city of Austin embarked last decade on an effort to overhaul the land development code. This effort was originally called Code Next. It costs years of feedback, meetings, and council votes, not to mention a few million dollars. But ultimately, it crashed and burned after a legal challenge over whether homeowners had a right to be notified of zoning changes. In short, land use determines what can be built where in Austin. That directly impacts development, housing density, even affordability. There seems to be growing consensus in City Hall that housing, or lack thereof, is Austin's defining challenge right now. So we brought onto ATX Ahead a City Hall insider who is passionate about land use, Greg Anderson, member of Austin's Influential Planning Commission. He's also Director of Community Affairs at Austin Habitat for Humanity and spent more than four years as Policy Director for Cheryl Cole, then Mayor Pro Tem on Austin City Council last decade. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Will. Thank you. So I just told people about your kind of land use bona fides, but I want to take a minute to establish your interest and expertise on this subject. I actually dug up what I guess is your uh, application to be on the planning commission. And uh, it wrote in there, you know, kind of in your mission statement or what have you, you know, passion for transit, sustainability, housing and affordability, and a clear understanding of the inequitable drawbacks of NIMBYism. Correct. That's me. What does all that mean? Tell us what your interest in this subject is. Sure, sure. I've, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been in Austin since 1997. I moved here as a high school dropout and I was just able to find my way simply because I was lucky enough to have cheap rent and eventually snuck into University of Texas. Uh, I've lived downtown for a number of years and I'm a big, big fan of transit. One day I, I thought my car was stolen and you know, got that that tightening of the chest. And then I realized I had left it at a friend's house three weeks before. And I realized I don't need a car. So yeah, I just rely on Cat Metro and my bike and walking and everything's just fine. And of course, I get to save a tremendous amount of money in doing so. And I then plow those savings into my Roth. Very smart right now. Um, yes, the traffic isn't getting any better. And uh, you can spend all, all that time thinking about land use and reading about land use that you're saving. So let's... Uh, Let's dive into what I would label as a substantial amount of tinkering and thinking that's been done about land use and land development in Austin, which, you know, isn't the sexiest topic, but is hugely important in a fast growing city, which, well, the fastest growing large metro has been for the past decade uh, for Austin. Let me read you some of the recent headlines, some of the recent coverage we've had in ABJ that uh, pertains to to land use regulations. So in December, we were talking about allowing residential development on land zone for commercial use. In April, it was a new zoning category being considered. Uh, I think it's called town zoning, kind of additional density category between single family and, and denser. Um, June was reforming compatibility standards, things like heights and setbacks. 
Also in June was a new density bonus called an Opportunity Unlocked for increased number of bedrooms and new development. Oh, and we talked, I think the council voted on having like more unrelated roommates together that can, that can live together, zoning-based occupancy. Just this month, July, changes calling for smaller lot sizes, potentially 2,500 square feet minimum for a home instead of 5,750. Um, there, there's a lot there. Um, did, I, did I miss any? Uh, is, is, do I have a lot of it down there? You nailed it. You nailed it. And unfortunately, we're just downwind of having to do it piecemeal. So um, I happened to work for Mayor Pro Tem Cheryl Cole back 2010 to 2015. And that council put a tremendous amount of effort into creating a new comprehensive plan. Tens of thousands of hours of hardworking Austinites from around the city were a big part of that. And we created priority programs, one of which was to rewrite Austin's 1984 land development code. The city has changed a lot since 1984, and there's a lot of exclusionary zoning baked into that code, a lot of you know, auto-centric pieces into that code. And we want a walkable, thriving city that is pretty much illegal uh, under our outdated code. A great example of the Miller neighborhood and how enjoyable and walkable and, and fun it is, what a great community. That neighborhood required 100 exemptions from current code to be able to be what it is today. And so council worked really hard with outside consultants to create a new land development code, which was passed on first and second reading. Unfortunately, there was a what some call an extreme ruling in a court that threw the whole thing out. And so instead of getting a new land development code like we all want and need and desperately worked hard for for many, many years, we are now trying to put Band-Aid on top of Band-Aid on our very outdated code, which had just gone another 10 years of deferred maintenance because we thought we were going to get rid of it. That's right. So we didn't get code next. We didn't get a land development code overhaul. Um, Are these kind of piecemeal changes to land development? Um, There's a lot of them, as I just said. Is it enough? Like, will will it get us to where we need to be? Or are we heading in the right direction? They're certainly less than ideal, and they're a whole lot better than nothing. This council has really taken up the hard work and the slack that they inherited, and they are doing some really great work. And it's really exciting to see everything that they've initiated. You you just listed a lot of those off, allowing residential and commercial, getting new town zoning and categories that allow for today's needs to be satisfied out there in the city of Austin. Today, we are quite literally zoning properties industrial only to condition out the industrial uses to their for legalized residential uses. And that's just absolutely backwards. You don't go into an area of the city that you're, you're that has a history of having industrial almost put on it against its will. And now we're putting industrial into areas just to allow for residential. Yes, we should allow residential, but we should have better zoning tools in the toolbox to be able to allow for Austin's needs. And it's just something our, our outdated code doesn't allow, but we're we're trying our best to get there. What do you think of some of the the options that are being considered? And and as we mentioned, you're on the planning commission, um, so that's you know a pretty influential body that advises city council. So you see a lot of these these things come through before they get to city council. In your opinion, what's going to have the biggest impact of these changes that are kind of being discussed right now? Some of which have already been implemented. You bet. I mean, let's start with um, one you may not have mentioned, which is eliminating parking mandates. So right now you can decide, hey, I want to start a bike shop next to a train station. The city's going to say, that's great. This is how many parking spots you're required to have. (laughs) Actually, no, I don't need that. Oh, yes, you do. Look at our outdated code and it'll tell you right here on page yada yada. This is what you need. Um, There are folks right now who start the month off writing a big old check 
for off-site parking that they have never once utilized only to satisfy their code. That's all jargony. But at the end of the day, it's just very, very painful for a lot of Austin companies and small businesses who want to expand and are just simply not allowed to because of outdated parking requirements. So that's a great, great uh, turn in the right direction. Um, that's happening. Our new zoning categories are happening. Opportunity Unlocked Tier Zero, initiated by Councilmember Fuentes and, and I believe adopted unanimously at Council. That looks to do really, really great things as far as allowing for residential developments to occur throughout the city and have a larger amount of income restricted units paid for by the development, subsidized by the development, but voluntarily done by a developer who wants to participate in a density bonus program. Um, in Texas, we do not have inclusionary zoning, but we do have density bonuses, which is the closest cousin you get. And so if our density bonus programs aren't working as well as they should have, as long as they should, that is 100% on us as a city. And so that item alone, as well as opportunity unlocked um, by council member Ryan Alter, those two items can really move the needle on both home ownership and rental product and getting a lot of units on the ground. Another one I'd love to mention, which is the relaxation of compatibility. Compatibility is a rule from the 80s when Austin was a much different, much smaller town uh, with much different needs than we have today. And it has one of the largest setback requirements of any of our peer cities. I believe number one, the largest setback requirement from single family zoned or used properties. And it goes out well over 500 feet. And so a city that's in a housing crisis then has a rule that 85% of our zoning, which is single family triggers that then knocks down the developability of all of our major corridors, which is one of the main reasons you see pawn shops and gas stations and parking lots that should be housing today. They are actually discouraged from redeveloping those properties into what Austin needs because of our outdated code. Because the setbacks would be different. Is that Exactly. Yeah. You can't raise a gas station and build a two to three story building. You need to put something down that makes the capital work for that investment. And right now, just the over-regulations we have for the areas that need the most housing, they just kill deals. Now, you've been also I'd love to share that one of the reasons Austin Habitat for Humanity is really involved in all these conversations is because we realize we can't build our way out of this alone. Our peers can't do it alone. Like we have to allow the folks who want to build housing in the city of Austin to be able to do so, to be able to get those desperately needed units on the ground. Yeah, Habitat does um, a whole bunch of affordable housing and traditionally a lot of that was single family, but I know even uh, some multifamily development now, which, you know, as another sign of becoming a big city, I think that's a great one because around the nation, Habitat doesn't do a ton of multifamily. I, I seem to remember that. that you're, you're spot on, Will. Yeah. As of tomorrow, we break ground on our largest development in our history, 126 homes, all ownership condos, Southeast Austin, District 2. And we're really excited about it. It's walking distance from Perez Elementary School. And it's going to be the densest product that we've ever produced. But when land costs, what, what land costs here in Austin, Texas, you simply have to be more responsible and build more on that land. Well, thank you for connecting the dots between, uh, yeah, your, your your work as a director of community community affairs. Is that right? That's for, right. For that. yeah. And then your advocacy for all this um, for all this density and land use. You're a proponent of kind of speeding up these changes too, and uh, you know, getting on board with because a lot of these votes are you know directing city council or sorry directing city staff, city manager to implement these changes. So even though we've passed, we've seen council pass a lot of things, there aren't immediate changes. So what would you say to city council about, you know, does this need to be sped up? How, why, 
Great question. I think one of the biggest concerns that a lot of the housing advocates in Austin have, and I believe a lot of city council members are, are sharing this concern as well, is that even though we have initiated amazing code changes, they are now piling up and getting, I don't want to use the word stuck or stalled, but they are all right there on the third floor of the city manager's office. And now we have to create code that allows these things to go into code and, and be codified, and then they have to come back to city council for it's final a lot to do. Yeah, it's, it's a like lot of work. work yeah. Work, work. yeah. So there's been there's been a lot of encouragement that the city manager can outsource these items. The city manager can bring on people who know how to write code and write great code, and they can do the work for us. We don't have to hire full time employees just to do this work, and we don't have to, you know, totally jam up everybody that works in the city doing this type of work. But these things really do have to get done. And remember, most of these changes were supposed to have occurred back in March of 2020. We've watched what's happened. We've watched what's happened to housing costs since 2020, and they're through the roof. And what's happening right now with capital costing as much as it does is we're actually watching news starts fall off a cliff. And so now's really the time to get these changes in effect, recalibrate our density bonus programs, and then allow for the market to start building these homes. To, to go to the opposite side of the coin just a little bit, what would you say to people who are against these changes, who uh, I've heard arguments about altering the character of established neighborhoods, like what, what, what do you say to people who aren't on board with these ideas? One of my colleagues at Austin Habitat put it well one time, we're not in a neighborhood character crisis, we're in a housing crisis. We are in one of the fastest growing cities in the United States and we need more housing. And we had a case just this past Tuesday at Planning Commission where people were really concerned about a three-story building going up near them. And the fact is, in a lot of circles, the idea of a taller building is scarier than unaffordability and sprawl. So if we're not going to build the transit supportive density along our corridors that we need, if we're not going to pass amazing things like the home initiative, housing options for missing housing options for middle income earners, then we are going to continue to watch the scarcity of housing drive up the cost of housing. And far too many people are impacted by that in a negative way. They get pushed out of our city. They're not allowed to live here. It's displacement. It's people having to have two or three jobs. It's AISD and their family, staff and and teachers being unable to live in the district that they work so hard in and serve. So we have to figure this out and we have to be more afraid of unaffordability than a city acting like a city and developing housing. It, it's a it's a matter of priorities, I guess you would say. 100%. And there's a, there's a particular word that's thrown a lot, around a lot called nimbyism. It's not in my backyard. And Austin's not unique in this regard. Um, yep. Nimbyism exists everywhere. There's a lot of cities that you know, once they get built out, then they make it very difficult for redevelopment to occur. And when you do that, you just watch the cost of housing skyrocket and all the pitfalls that go along with it. ATX Ahead, presented by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders, providing trusted financial advisory services to entrepreneurs, family business owners, and financial sponsors for more than 20 years. The business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis PLLC, handling high profile, high stakes, and mission critical matters for you and your business. Learn more at cstrial.com and by Trimbuilt Construction, building Austin since 1984. Visit us at trimbuilt.com or call 512 689 7881. 
Let's start the conversation about your project. So you mentioned the home resolution, home options for middle income empowerment um, that just passed at council, you know, about a week before we're recording this. And in that, that was the lot sizes, I, I think, that I was talking about, right? So it changes the minimum lot size. And may, may, you're in kind of a unique position because of your background, your work with Habitat. Like, connect the dots for me where, like, so if you cut up a lot into a lot size, one lot, you can then subdivide it for homes, smaller pieces. But are you just going to see, you know, big vertical construction like McMansion, like then, then you'll just see more McMansions on, on the on the block in Terrytown, or, or am I missing the point here? Break it down for me. So today, roughly 85% of Austin zoning is single family zones. So you have single family one, you have single family two, single family three, those numbers don't really mean anything. And so council member Poole, along with her co-sponsors and the vast majority of council, I believe nine members ended up supporting the home initiative. They want to see the reimagining of single family zoning. I'm going to rephrase that. They want to now is as, as now is as good a time as ever to recalibrate single family zoning. When we adopted 5750 square feet as our minimum lot size, we did so in 1946. Things were very different in Austin, Texas in 1946. Our population had just surpassed 100,000 people. Well, here we are today, we've just surpassed 1 million people, and we have the same minimum lot sizes that are now only affordable to our very top quintile of income earners. And if you were to read city code, and city code was to say, this zoning is preserved for our top 20% of income earners, my guess is that wouldn't go over too well in Austin, Texas, but that's the reality on the ground. And council has wisely recognized that and they've watched the home values of all of our neighborhoods skyrocket. And so by requiring less dirt with each home and allowing up to three homes per lot, you now allow groups of middle income earners to outbid one high income earner. Right now, by default, our code protects high income earners from neighbors. It protects most of our neighborhoods from having middle income earners being able to afford to live in those neighborhoods, which is not the type of protection we need to be giving any place in Austin. Among all these changes, we've seen a, a little bit of a slow adoption on, on some of these, um, and it's brand new, so I get why that would happen, but ABJ's Mike Kristen has done a lot of good reporting on land use, you know, development, and regulations, and he reported in June that um, the, the there's a corridor program to encourage dense housing along corridors uh, had had not seen any applications yet, and uh, this this change allowing residential construction in commercial areas had seen six applications. This was in June. Things might have changed, but kind of a slow pickup. Do you do you know why that might be, or do you have any any thoughts on on what's going on there? As of this very moment, it's tricky out there because we do have affordability requirements that were calibrated when the cost of debt was about a third. Mm -hmm to maybe half of what it is today. And so when you start to develop a project, you're, you're investing your equity right there in the beginning. That's your most expensive form of capital. And so right now it's, it's tough out there. It's really, really tough. So um, it is a great time for the city to rewrite a lot of our land development code and to get new housing and zoning categories on the ground. There's a lot of folks that are still hoping to build here in Austin soon. But they are, for the most part, sitting on the sidelines on a lot of deals. That's a great point. And even when you're talking about moving quickly in the city, I mean, markets move very quickly, too. So responding to that uh, can be a challenge, I know, for builders. 
And, um, you know, we are seeing inflation abating a little bit at the national level. And uh, and to your, to your point, like if all of a sudden lots can be subdiv- subdivided and the price of land is cheaper, well, six months from now when debt isn't maybe not so expensive, I mean, that must must make someone like you excited. 100%. And it's also pretty exciting. Mayor Watson has taken it on himself to really look at where the city is getting in the way of itself. So he's brought on McKenzie, who's really lifting the hood and seeing what's going on. And they're going to hopefully get some recommendations back to the city soon that the city manager and maybe with council's direction, if need be, uh, can address a lot of these issues and just make it more efficient for folks to want to build in Austin. Capital is very efficient. And when we make it difficult to build here, when we make it unpredictable to build here, we just get less of the development that we need. So we want the transit support density. We want the walkable communities. We know we need the housing. We know we need, you know, folks to build those active edges around the front of the property and hopefully develop those old surface parking lots and, and better engage the city and get us more tax base and all the uses that we need. And so that'll go a long way as well, as far as really making it more efficient to build in Austin. Well, we started, uh, we've gone into the, into the details, right? I'd like to go really big picture to finish off here, Greg. And that is if you had a magic wand or like in a perfect world, what would you change about land use? Where would the, the ultimate ideal be for you in Austin? In my ideal world, we would just simply get out of our own way and allow for the housing that Austin desperately wants and needs to be built. You know, there's so many excuses as far as no, not here. No, not looking like that. No, it can't possibly. Oh, what about all these things? And at the end of the day, there's just far too many people getting harmed by us not building the housing that we need. There's so many, I teach a few courses at the University of Texas, and I hear from students during semester, I hear from them the year after they graduate, I hear from them years after they graduate, Uh, I'm going to go have dinner with uh, some students in another city here this weekend, who left Austin because housing costs. It was just a huge part of it. They had jobs here that were offered to them. There were abundant jobs here. But when housing here costs so many times more than a job that might pay less and and more affordable housing in another community, that becomes pretty attractive to folks. And also people want to be able to buy a home. And when your entry level of housing is so high, mainly because of an outdated land development code and all the hurdles we put in our own way to from you know building the housing that we need there's just got to be a better way so i would love it if we could just really start to think about all the people who aren't in the room every single time we make a decision and then really just start to legalize housing in the city of austin texas do we have a chance to course correct and like avoid you know the one million dollar median home price we see in some places in california here in austin Sadly, Will, as of today, we are 100% on that path. And I do believe that this council and amazing advocates and home builders and people from around the community are trying to change our direction and course correct. As of right now, it's up in the air as far as which way that's going to land. There's another lawsuit against housing going into the courts next month against affordability unlocked and vertical mixed use two, which is a brand new change that council just adopted with a supermajority. So unfortunately, every time we work successfully to make it easier to build housing, there are efforts afoot to prevent that work and to 
claw back the work that council and the community have worked on to make it easier to build housing. So, you know, NIMBYism and housing opposition groups, they they want their day in court. Unfortunately, everything council is doing is getting sued. And, you know, so, so those become the biggest issues. And again, Austin's not unique in this regard. Everywhere that has a housing crisis, they try to do things to make it easier to build housing and they face these headwinds. So in, in the best, most ideal world, hopefully, you know, from the state to the federal government, all the way down to every local municipality and county, we're all going to figure out ways to work together and recognize the true crisis that housing is and, and work to resolve these, despite the fact that there are always going to be some folks saying, no, not in my backyard. Hey, thanks for your insight on this important topic, Greg. Thank you. Well, I love it. And thank you for all the amazing coverage Austin Business Journal has done, not just this year, but in years past, because you guys are really covering the issue so well. Thank you. ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders, the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis, and by Trimbuilt Construction, building Austin since 1984.